of your favorite podcast, Green Jeans. I am your one co-host, Annika Van Rossum. And I'm your other co-host, her mother, Maya Van Rossum. And if it's your first time joining us, we are a podcast that talks about environmental and social justice issues through a generational lens because my mom is a lifelong activist and I'm a budding activist, which I hate saying. Um, well, I think you can say that you're a lifelong activist. Maybe your life has true. not been as long as mine, but I can honestly <laughs> say since you were a very little girl that you really were engaged in activism for the earth and for um, animal protection and river protection and earth protection. So you could say you're a lifelong activist too. It's true. I guess it's a life, you're a life longer. <laughs> I just hate budding activists. It just sounds so weird. Yeah, you're not a budding activist either. I mean, you very literally, I, I remember we had a fundraiser in Lambertville, New Jersey. We were always part of the annual Shad Fest to celebrate the return of the Shad to the Delaware River, uh, an iconic species, incredibly important to the river that um, was nearly lost to the river. Uh, it is still in the Delaware River, but at very low low levels. But anyway, we would participate every year in this annual celebration in Lambertville, New Jersey. It's still going on. And so look for it in April. Um, if you're if you're in the New Jersey area and um, interested in environmental protection and species protection and fish like the shad. Um, but anyway, we were there um, trying to educate people and engage people. And I don't know, you were you were not very many years old. And you managed to find some dandelions growing out of a, the sidewalk and you, you picked them and you went up to people and you offered them a dandelion for uh, a dandelion for like a five cent donation to protect the river. <laughs> and it was really cute. And you were really cute. And um, you were right there just going to people as they walked by. Can't tell you how many people turned you down. That's so <laughs> like rude. Five cents for a dandelion to a little girl. I, I swear, you know, you were somewhere between three and five um, to help save the river. And um, <laughs> they had more important things to do, I guess, uh, like get a shad sandwich or something. But yeah, so I think, you know, you're not budding. I think you were budding way back then. Now you're just a full-fledged lifelong activist for the earth. No, I try. I like to tell people, I said my new, um, if I had like a, like a nickname, I have in like my social media bios, my nickname is your favorite neighborhood tree hugger is what I've decided to coin myself as. Oh, um, I love that. That's a great <laughs> nickname. Um, yeah, no, that's cool. Well, what's your, I feel like I wish I could retell a youthful, what do you think is like your first moment um, of activism? Let's tell people generationally, go mom, set. Truthfully, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> My first moment, I have many, many memories um, and we probably don't have enough time to talk about them because I'm expecting that John Beard from the Port Arthur Community Action Network is gonna show up any minute. So I don't wanna get into a story and leave him in the waiting room, but I will think of a story for next time. How about there that? Oh, but I will say, like you have your favorite nickname, I'm super excited because I recently, um, you know, I've had a lot of people call me a lot of names, uh, usually they're nasty names, but um, very recently I just got a new, I wouldn't call it a nickname, I think I'm going to embrace it as a title, and my new title being the mother of the Green Amendment movement. 
So I am super excited. I think that that accurately captures my role in not just um, creating the vision of the Green Amendment movement, coining the term, defining the term, um, putting that movement out into the world in a very powerful way where we've got states across the nation and communities across the nation seeking constitutional environmental rights amendments in, in what are defined to be by me. Green Amendment. So anyway, the mother of the Green Amendment or the mother of the Green Amendment movement is now my, not just nickname, I, 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 I think I might embrace it as my title. I think you should. I think it's cool. And I think it's cool that literally like nobody, nobody on staff, like nobody has given that to you, but like that it was in a newspaper article. So I think that's even just more powerful that it's not like an affectionate thing. Like none of us have ever called you that until that article came out. Um, yeah, so it was cool. Yeah, I did an interview about our our, our work um, and the article came out and the, the reporter shared it with me as they often do. And there it was right there in the headline and in the body of the text. So that was super exciting. So mom, do you want to tell us about today's guests before they join us? Yeah, so his name is John Beard and he is the founder of the Port Arthur Community Action Network. So I'm really excited for John to talk to us about Port Arthur and, and about his work. But how I came to meet John, which was just uh, in the past few months, was you all might recall that in the fall, I was part of the People versus Fossil Fuels action taking place in Washington, DC, really calling on President Biden to live up to his promise of prioritizing addressing the climate crisis and not prioritizing it in a way through rhetoric and not prioritizing it in a way that's about continuing to advance dirty fossil fuels, but prioritizing it in a way that is meaningful and really helping transition this nation off of dirty fossil fuels to make us to, you know, to end our um, to end the in industrial operations and actions and activities within our communities that continue to release devastating methane and carbon into the atmosphere. Um, and not to fall prey to false promises like industrial carbon capture, which is part of the climate crisis problem, not part of the solution. And I was, I, I, I was part of the portion of the protests that where folks were arrested, um, so did do that. But I was also amongst the speakers. And I was really honored to be asked to speak at that very critical national event where people came from all over the nation where, and it was an event where the, 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 um, the creation of the event, the message, the messaging, the actors were indigenous leaders and um, communities of color, leaders from environmental justice communities, those on, on the front lines that are being disproportionately impacted by pollution and environmental degradation. And I was just riveted by this most powerful speaker that came up to the podium at one point during the multi-days of action and just who spoke so powerfully and so beautifully and so inspiringly about what was happening to our environment, to the climate and the need for people to rise up and get active. And I had missed the gentleman's name. And after he was done speaking, I was sort of saying, who was that? Who was that? And it was John Beard. And that is who we're gonna hear from today. And I reached out to him to, wanted to talk to him for my book. As people know, 
maybe they don't know, I am writing a second edition of my book, The Green Amendment. So I wanted to interview John for some new chapters that I'm adding to the book, which is going to be coming out early in the fall, late in the summer, early in the fall. And when we finished, you know, and I talked to you about it, we said, oh my gosh, we need him on our podcast uh, because he has such a powerful, important message and he's such a powerful and important messenger. So that's John Beard, at least, you know, um, how he came to be on our show. And I, I'm just excited for people to hear his message. Me too. I can't wait. Hi, how are you doing? Sorry. It took me a while, Maya. I was on another call and it got real involving. And the harder you try to break away, the harder it is to break away. You're on, I've got you on audio, but now we can, how's that? Oh, John, <laughs> see, this is what happens when you are such a masterful champion and leader. Everybody needs your time. Well, I, I wish I had more time for me. <laughs> <laughs> Well, John, I'm super excited that you're with us, and I'm super excited for my daughter, Annika, also my co-host, who you've been communicating with, to meet you because she uh, she's a great activist herself, and to be able to meet somebody of your caliber is a, is a real honor and joy. Yes, I've been looking forward to it this whole time. My mother speaks very highly of you, so I'm super excited to talk to you. Thanks. Thanks. I hope I live up to, to advanced billing. <laughs> <laughs> so John why don't we we've already sort of done a little bit of a pre-introduction about who you are and how you and I met up at the people versus fossil fuels rally in the in the fall delivering a message to President Biden to um, really step up right for the people and for meaningfully addressing the climate crisis um, but I thought it might be a really great place to start for you to tell our audience uh, a little bit about yourself and about the Port Arthur Community Action Network. Yeah, well, first of all, to your listeners and audience, good uh, day, good afternoon. I don't know what time it'll be, but I hope you're enjoying a great holiday and you're in festive mood and a very festive spirit. I certainly am, and I haven't been drinking either. <laughs> but anyway, um, I'm John Beard, and I'm the founder, chairman, uh, CEO, head cook, and chief bottle washer for the Port Arthur Community Action Network, which is an environmental and social justice community development nonprofit organization in Port Arthur, Texas. And uh, we got started really, we originally had a forerunner organization, Port Arthur Environmental Justice Coalition, got started in uh, 2014. But uh, sometimes when you organize uh, and things don't quite go according to plan, you have to put the plan on the shelf. So we did, and then Hurricane Harvey hit in 2017, which led to us trying to address more of those issues that were taking place that we saw in the community. Uh, let me preface that by saying that I'm also a former city councilman for the city of Port Arthur, having been uh, on council from 20, 2003 to 2012. And knowing what I know about the city and being an activist in public life over 33 years uh, gives me a perspective and understanding of how to address and handle issues. Well, we saw that in the aftermath of Harvey in my workings with uh, some of the other council members that I served with and friends. And uh, it just said that we needed a more public arm to address a lot of these issues and concerns, especially on the environmental side. So uh, we decided to take up that fight. And, I think what I bring to the fight that's special is I have over 38 years of experience in the petrochemical industry. 
I worked for, please don't hold this against me. I worked <laughs> for Exxon Mobil. And that's a bad name in some circles, but uh, it allowed me as a second generation union person, proudly union, as well as a plant worker to uh, be able to send my kids to college, to build a pretty decent and good life for them, have a good standard of living, and to also have time and resources to be able to commit back to the community. So that's pretty much currently where I, where I am. And uh, just a little bit of some of the work that we're trying to do, which is try to address the environmental issues with regard to the petrochemical build out, to pipelines, to the Permian Basin climate bomb, exporting natural gas, and other uh, environmental issues as they surface here in the Port Arthur uh, area. So John, one of the things I found so striking when you and I um, talked, I already told people that you know you and I talked for the second edition of the book. And one of the most striking parts of our conversation, really emotionally impactful as well as intellectually impactful, was when you described Port Arthur, um, described the community and the industry that surrounds the community. I'm wondering if you could share with, with um, our audience that, that vision and perspective of where Port Arthur is and what you and your community um, has to deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. Well, I like to say that when you look at the map on the Weather Channel or any map and you see where Texas and Louisiana, the South and the Gulf of Mexico meet, that's Port Arthur, that's us. Uh, we're situated not necessarily on the Gulf Coast in some ways, but also partially on the shores of Lake Sabine, which kind of separates Port Arthur from Louisiana. And if you Google Earth Port Arthur and look at it, and get a visual picture of it, you'll see we're surrounded by industry and tank farms. You'll see that scattered throughout all of the Beaumont Port Arthur orange area, which is what's known as the Golden Triangle of Texas. Not golden because it's rich in gold, but gold as in <laughs> oil. And so uh, we're surrounded by tank farms, we're surrounded by refineries, we're surrounded by pipelines. Matter of fact, there are more miles of pipelines than there are people in Jefferson County. Oh my God. They're over, they're over, they're over two, the population of the county is about 250,000 and there are probably at least three times that many more pipelines in terms of mileage distance. So when you combine all of that, we're a pretty big thing in the petrochemical industry. We're not as big as Houston population wise, but I would dare say that with the accumulation of those resources, petrochemically speaking, processing and all of that, LNG pipelines, we're as equally as important. All you've got to do is take us out of the equation. If there's a, a shutdown at a plant for an emergency or a fire or a hurricane comes to this area and these plants shut down, you'll see an immediate increase in gas prices. Wow. And that's because of the effect that we have on the national scene, Texas national scene, as well as the international scene. So we're surrounded by that. And we have some of the worst air quality in the state of Texas. Uh, back in 2010, Port Arthur was the, selected to be an environmental showcase community by the EPA. Now, what they mean by that, I don't know, but I can tell you <laughs> what we found out from it. We found out that Port Arthur has twice the state and national average for not only cancer, but heart, lung, and kidney disease. Oh and God. we believe it has an environmental, uh, it's an environmental factor. And uh, if you look at the part of town where I live, the west side, I can look, if I were in that part of the house, I can look to the north and see the largest refinery in the country, Motiva. I can look at the direction of about 9 to 10 o'clock, 
and I can see Valero's refinery. I can look at the eight o'clock direction and see that oxbow calcineity, which is the serial polluter in Texas in terms of sulfur dioxide, sulfur trioxide, and particulates. And then I can look a little bit further to the due south and see German pellets, where they take our beautiful East Texas forest and chop it down and grind it in the pulp and extrude these little pellets that they sell overseas to Europe as renewable energy for them to burn in power plants, which is, while not as bad as coal, it still is bad because you're losing the forest and you're also putting more contaminants into the atmosphere. And then you have the Port of Port Arthur and you have other such facilities on the east end of town like uh, BASF, FINA, and Total. So we're virtually surrounded by this. And then we have two LNGs to the south, uh, one off the shore of Lake Sabine, which is Chenier LNG, one on the Sabine Nature's Waterway, which is one of the largest that passes through Port Arthur. And that's uh, Golden Pass LNG by ExxonMobil. And now there's a third being proposed, Port Arthur LNG by Semper Energy, which my organization are currently engaged in a uh, an action against. So we're surrounded by this and there are fires and leaks and odors. And if you, I dare say, if you're not used to living around this kind of thing and come down here, I, I can tell you in a matter of hours, you'll begin to feel and, and smell it. You'll smell it and then you'll begin to feel it. By the way, it will change the, your nasal passages and, and, and irritate your throat or maybe even your eyes. And we've been living with that for as long as this stuff has been here. So John, can I ask you, because just the way you're describing it, I mean, it's just, it sounds like something out of like a apocalypse novel, you know, like just so terrifying. So how, you know, working your organization and the people in your community, like what, what have the experiences been? Like, how do people describe it? I mean, it just sounds like God awful. I mean, just torturous. Well, it, it, it's, I, I, I try not to exaggerate. I don't exaggerate. I'm telling you exactly like it is. Mm -hmm. And people that have come here uh, that have taken video of it, and you see on our, my Facebook page and our Facebook pages for Khan and, uh, and also for Environmental Justice, which is another affiliated page, uh, and even on our websites, you'll see where it's worse. If you, it, it's exactly as I describe it, but if you come here, you'll see, as a lot of them have told me, it's worse than what you described. Wow. So I, I don't downplay it. I tell it straight. But when you come here, you'll, you'll get the picture real quick. That's why we take people on what's called a toxic tour. And by the way, I invite both you and Maya to come <laughs> down this way. Next time we'll do this live on site yeah. and vid with video so people can actually see this. Mm -hmm. But uh, it is bad. And people, you know, the difference is that years ago when I was growing up, you either worked at the plant or you worked for a company that did business with the plant or you worked for a company that did business with the company in the plant or you worked for the city, county or the school district or one of the three hospitals. Well, now the two largest employers, which were Texaco and Gulf, now Valero and Motiva, had almost 10,000 employees between them. They're now less than five between the two. You've had the, those hospitals. We went from three hospitals to one. Uh, the county and the city both have downsized the size of government, so there are fewer people working. And unfortunately, Port Arthur is some of the highest unemployment in the state with all of the petrochemical development and facilities we have. We've, you know, the only place that's higher is down in the valley near Brownsville, and they have no heavy industry at all. So that's very telling. And then when you look at the economic statistics, property value, home value, per capita income, average income, 
Port Arthur has almost a third of its citizens living out of below the poverty line. You have two thirds of these citizens here that are what you consider to be economically disadvantaged. The average salary here is $35,000 or less. That's for a family of four. The wow. average home value here is around fifty-five dollars to $60,000. So when you put all of that together, but you look at the wealth that is in this area with these major refineries and all, and all of them are in some form of expansion or the other, then it makes you wonder what's actually going on. You think that that would enrich the community, but it's having the exact opposite effect. And meanwhile, we're breathing this air, which is some of the worst in Texas. That's a sad commentary. So John, I, I do wanna take you up on your invitation to come down there. So at some point in the, in the um, 2022, um, really would like to schedule that with you. But, I, but also I wanna let people know that if they go to your website, portarthurcan.org, there was a really um, impactful video that you had on the website and that you have on the website that lets people come to Port Arthur remotely and see some of what you're describing. And I thought that that was a really powerful video and just wondering um, how, how you did that video. Um, how did you get all that, that footage and what is the goal? What's the message? You know, uh -huh. what, what action do you want people to take, you know, as a result of like experiencing that? Well, we're, that's just the first of probably a series we're going to do. Uh, we got lucky in some of the circles I'm in in this environmental justice movement, uh, ran a, across a gentleman by the name of Frankie Arone. And Frankie, and he's the one I stole this from, Frankie had, be, had been on so many calls with me hearing me talk about this. And he said, it can't be that bad. But he happened to come, he's in San Antonio, and he was going to visit some friends in Houston. And he said, you know, Port Arthur just a little over an hour or so away. Why not take a trip down there? So he called me up on a Saturday saying he was going to come on Sunday. Well, Sunday is my one day of rest, at, <laughs> at least most of it. And now you're going to take up my, my only day that I give myself and want to take the toxic tool. So I said, all right, okay, we'll do that. And he, we got started about 10 o'clock that morning. We didn't finish till about 536 that evening. But when we finished, he was the one that said, I, you know, I thought he was exaggerating, but having actually been there and seen it up close, he's not exaggerating at all. And I could, and in those few hours, I began to feel the irritation in my nose and my throat and my eyes. So yeah, it's very, very real. And that's the, the thing we want to convey to people, to, to elevate this. And as we move forward, there are some people like Etta Hebert, who's a cancer survivor, whose husband had cancer surgery and therapy this time last year, but he's now in hospice. Etta has a daughter, Angela, in her early 40s. Not trying to give Angela's age away, mind you, but Angela is a cancer Angela's survivor. only, she's only 17. <laughs> she's my age, she's 17. Yeah, yeah, forever young. And so, uh, and, and Angela's a cancer survivor. Etta's brother, Eddie, will soon be a year since he passed away from cancer. She invited two of her old childhood friends who moved away after high school and said, hey, come on back. It'll be like old times. We'll get together and drink coffee and chat and talk and do things. And both of them came down with cancer. One is under treatment. The other one died. Then you have people like 80-year-old former school teacher Annette Mitchell, 
who has to take breathing treatments and basically take oxygen with her out in the yard where she tries to tend to her flowers. And then you have people like uh, Miss Hardy. Miss Hardy has a six, seven-year-old grandson who, when German pellets burned, one of their silos caught fire and burned for 102 days. Imagine it being like a barbecue with the smokiness and all of it or, or in a smoke-filled room with a bunch of people that are smoking in a congested area and smelling smoke outside and in your house for 102 consecutive days. That's what that was like. He has to have a nebulizer and take breathing treatments. So you've got a number of people that are suffering because of this and not a lot's being done. So we wanna elevate their voices. We wanna elevate this problem to show that environmental racism is real, that climate change is real. When you look at the Hurricane Harvey, when you look at in 15 years, five major hurricanes have struck or brushed by this city, uh, some directly that have uh, affected us, at least that many equally that have brushed by and created damage, the most recent of which two last year, one in uh, August, Laurel and Delta in October, that went within 40 miles of Port Arthur and did considerable damage and uh, Imelda and others. So yeah, we're, we, we sit at the front lines of climate change and all of those things. And also at the front lines of environmental racism because for all of the stuff that goes on here, where, where's the benefit? Where are the people working? Where's the prosperity that's supposedly coming from this? Well, Port Arthur doesn't work. And unfortunately the smaller white bedroom communities are considerably more prosperous and the whole county is more prosperous. So why, when Port Arthur's taking the brunt of all of this environmental pollution contamination, why are we so poor? You know, Port Arthur, and, and there was a study in the 1980s that said Port Arthur was the 19th poorest city in the country wow. because of looking at the, the, the economics. So how can that be with the, all the prosperity we're told that comes from oil and gas? Something's wrong with that picture. And we want to bring that not only to America, but also to those people in corporate America who make mm -hmm. decisions that affect folk down here, to the mm -hmm. White House, to the State House, anywhere where we can get something changed about this because this is wrong. It is environmental racism at its finest and it has to stop. That's why we embrace building back fossil free and breaking free from fossil fuels and plastics and all of that. We're affiliated with all those groups and that's why we're involved because there has to be a better way. A better way is possible. And if we're really concerned about people and fairness and equity and justice, then we have to be about this. Well, it's just it's just breaking my heart to hear all this too, because I mean, I just know too, like, so as being like a young person, so many times we talk about climate change and we're like, this is what's happening to our world. And young people get brushed off so often, like you haven't been around or you don't understand the system or all stuff like that. And it's just breaking my heart because you're telling the stories of people who are suffering day in and day out in this community. And I know there's just so many politicians and corporations and things that just don't hear that. And it's just, it breaks my heart that like, like these are real stories of people dying every single day. And the fact that there's not this urgency for change and there's not this reality of like, we are murdering people through environmental racism and that there's not that change happening. And you're, I mean, you're fighting that fight and it's just, it's heartbreaking to hear it, but it like, you know, it gives me hope that there's strong voices like you, like you said, lifting those voices up and bringing it out into the world. And John, right. can I ask you, when you bring forth some of those voices, 
when um, when they reach out to speak to decision makers? What's the kind of reception in your experience that that people get, whether it's you or, you know, some of those other voices in the community that you're lifting up? Well, they're, they're somewhat sympathetic, but they don't do anything. You know, they look at what they consider the larger picture. So in other words, uh, and I read this on an article that was done several years ago, that Port Arthur's sacrificed so America can have oil and gas, so planes can fly, cars can go, but where's the justice in that when people are suffering? So you you basically said we have no value, that, that, that our concern is not that much because of, you know, well, we need this, America needs this. But what, what about our needs? Aren't we human too? Do we not matter? You're the represent, our representatives in Washington and in Austin and even here in Port Arthur have a right to represent people. And that's why a lot of the effort we're taking to address the environmental pollution, we're not just going after them for violating the EPA and federal laws with regard to clean air and water. We're also looking at the fact that everybody, every living human has a right to breathe clean, fresh air and to live in a clean, safe environment. And by these federal and state agencies not upholding their oath of office or obligation to protecting people, that they are violating our civil rights. It's a tacit violation mm -hmm. of Title VI of the Civil Rights Act. So we're not only pursuing the environmental, but first and foremost, you're violating my right because it shouldn't matter where I live. I should be able to breathe clean air and be safe where I'm at. And those that want to contest us, and I run into it on social media or in news media and print all the time, those that want to say that 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 we have no basis of claim in that, then my, my, my response to them is, then come live here. Let's trade places like the old movie. Yeah. Now, let's trade places. You wouldn't want to live here and live in those conditions, but you want to tell me that I should just, you know, suck it up and go on ahead. Well, no, I'm sorry. I, I have an opportunity to move away from here, but why should I? when I've lived here virtually all my life? And why should other people who don't have the means to move away? That's another thing. So let's trade places. You're in a nice, safer place, gated community maybe, or a nicer place in the Piney Woods, north of Beaumont and East Texas, less than 30 minutes away, where you don't see no signs of flares or smokestacks or refineries or hear the hum of machinery. Trade places. Let's see how let's see how you like it. Walk a mile in these shoes. So, so you know, we're sacrificing. We I like to say we're sacrificed. So all of those things which they enjoy, they can continue to enjoy them. But at some point, that's got to that's got to change. So you know, John, I was I was um, struck. So Annika, for she's a law student. She's been doing an internship uh, the, um, in the fall in the state of New Mexico doing part of helping with our effort to advance a, a New Mexico green amendment. As you and I talked about, we're hoping to get right. going in Texas at some point. But so she and I were there, she was wrapping up her semester and we were driving back so she could get our car home. And we were driving through many states. And one of them we drove through for quite a period of time was the state of Texas. And I have to be honest, and I think that this speaks to, to just what you're talking about. I was expecting to see all kinds of oil and gas infrastructure, like we've seen in parts of New Mexico, right? There are some parts that are beautiful and pristine, and there are other parts where they are just overwhelming communities. So I was expecting to see that in the portions of Texas that, we're, that we were driving through. And all we could see, frankly, all we did see were windmills, acres and acres and acres of windmills with some solar panels 
popped in. And so it was quite striking having spoken with you about, you know, the very dense areas of fossil fuel infrastructure, overwhelming and devastating communities. And then in this other portion of Texas, they found a way to advance instead those clean energy options that allow us to get energy and preserve people's lives. Is that kind of clean energy, uh, besides the fact, I'd like just wondering what your thoughts are on that, that dichotomy. And then also just wondering, is, is your vision for the future to replace that fossil fuel infrastructure with these kinds of clean energy strategies that will provide jobs and energy and protect the community at the same time? Or is there a different vision that you have? You're, you're exactly right. There is a dichotomy in that. Some might even say it's a contradiction in terms because some don't think that having clean, green, affordable energy is compatible with the system we have now. Well, it's not. It's totally incompatible simply because we cannot continue to put more CO2 and methane into the atmosphere. It's very, it's extremely damaging. The climate change we see, the fires out west and all. But Texas is unique in that ex extent that there are fledgling efforts more to the west, and I've been out that way. But as you get closer toward the central portion of the state and to the east and the southeast, you don't see it as much. Although there's been talk about having windmills and solar farms in this area, but it's also so far just talk. But then you have a state legislature and you have my former state representative who, who sponsored a bill that passed that basically ties the hands of local government being able to tell people about alternatives to get away from burning methane or natural gas because of its polluting effect on the atmosphere. You know, we burn this in our homes and I grew up with it, but nobody's realized till now how toxic that is and the toxicity that extends into the atmosphere with burning that gas. And, and in Texas, because they're so lax in terms of enforcing environmental laws, you have oil wells, gas wells that virtually leak into the atmosphere, a good friend of mine. Sharon Wilson has a camera that she takes out to these places to show people just how much of it is getting into the atmosphere. So, you know, while we're trying, I think that transition has to happen, but you can't make that transition while at the same time having a policy of drill baby drill and burn baby mm -hmm. burn and let's export more of it. Because while you may be, you know, we talk about energy independence, why are we exporting so much of we've become a net exporter not importer of oil and gas but an exporter which means we have an abundance of it so much so that we're willing to sell it but once again how can you reverse course if you're going full speed ahead you can't wow. you either have to stop where you're at and take steps backwards to back away from and reduce the amount of dependence on fossil fuels or you really don't mean what you say. And right now the policy nationally, as well as in Texas is, is full speed ahead. But we realize that we've only got 1.5 degrees centigrade or 1.2 degrees centigrade in terms of global warming that we can stand before you know, we reach a catastrophic level. And right now we're on the course to go well over two, anywhere from two and a half to 2.7 degrees centigrade. And that's, that's scary. When you look at the sea level rise and the breaking of the ice shelves and the calving off of uh, large pieces of Antarctica, those things aren't happening for no reason. So we've got to be smart about it. And we run into folk all the time. 
well, that's just what they call weather. You know, it's not <laughs> that. Well, we say to, to an extent it is the weather, but the weather is changing dramatically yep. and swiftly and considerably faster. These aren't apparitions. They're really happening. So if you don't think that global warming is real, that it's a hoax, what if you're wrong? I could be wrong. You could be wrong. What if we're wrong? What if I'm wrong? Don't we still not need to go in a different direction mm -hmm. to get better about this, to reduce what we know is the pollution that comes from it, getting in the air we breathe so cities like Port Arthur can be cleaner and, and greener and, and get away from this? You know, but long as people are making money and they feel that their futures and fortunes are tied into it, the, the pocketbook's going to rule the marketplace and the profit motive is going to do the same. But we have to have or imagine a better world and a different world for everybody. And we have to find ways to make that work. Uh, Joe Manchin might need to tell his people that we're going to have clean, green jobs. So you're still going to be able to put food on the table. You're going to send your kids to college. You're going to build a, have a nice home and a nice car and a nice bank account so you can retire and a good retirement. We're not going to throw you out in the street. And I think if you talk to people in those terms and tell them that they're not going to miss one single paycheck, the mines will shut down, but we also have to police and patrol and look at those mines to make sure it's done properly. That will create jobs as we transition over. The transition has to be an actual plan that's workable and doable so that people are assured that their future is secure. I think if you do that, you reduce the ability of someone to have an argument based on economics and based on or what they consider to be a hoax. Because mm. we know the pollutants are there. Can I ask you, can Go I ahead. ask you, John, just um, just everything you're talking about. And I just feel like, you know, like you're you're spitting straight facts, straight truth. Like, I love it all. But just like when you, you know, met with my mom and talked about the Green Amendment and just the power you have, like, can you tell I don't know what would it do you think it would mean if Texas had a Green Amendment and you guys could walk in and say we have a constitutional right to breathe clean air and it's not just something that politicians can like poo poo away is like the weather is changing and all that but it's like you have to you have to look at what's happening and you have to pass legislation you have to do exactly what you're talking about like do policy and things that actually make our world a better place because I have a right to this environment well your mom and I got the, the clock's already ticking on us after the first of the year because we said for the next legislative session we're going to do that and I do have some friends in the legislature and uh, other organizations I'm affiliated with would be interested in this and having that sort of policy. And I think it's gonna, we're gonna have to basically, as an old friend of mine say, gonna bring the fight to your chest. We're gonna have <laughs> to bring it right here. We're gonna have to make it real. We're gonna have to put it in your face. We're gonna have to make you see it even when you don't want to, because as you well know, the other side, when they wanna ignore something, they just turn and go the other way. They set mm -hmm. up obstacles. They do all manner of little tricks so that they don't feel they don't they're not impacted so they, they can say they're not aware of it or they didn't see it or they didn't know about it but i think we're going to have to do some work in that area do some strategizing get other cities to look at it get some of these grassroots organizations to grow and expand themselves to do it so that the hue and cry is such that there has to be a policy change or shift it may not be a change that's in going abruptly from one to the other but there has to be a manageable and a sensible and a real transition. Because mm -hmm. if you don't have it, if it's only in word and deed and these little incremental changes, it'll never happen. Because while we're planning to try to make that change 
there's somebody somewhere sitting in the corporate ivory tower planning a way to undo that change or to make it unnecessary. Just like my state legislator made it basically against the law for cities to say, hey, look, like, like New York did recently, you know, they're not going to give out any more permits for natural gas or heating or whatever in the city of New York. Suppose we came up with that and said in Port Arthur that that's what we're going to do. I dare say that my former state rep, Joe Desertel, soon to be former, he, he won't be over till 22, but I'll hang him out there now because he did it. He got his name attached to it. So you're going to have to own it. And he's, uh, you know, how are you going to explain to people them putting poison in the atmosphere and poison in their homes? And yeah. when we talk about transitioning away, why are you going to limit free speech to be able to talk about this and to actually do something that's impactful to people, especially a city that has two thirds of its citizens economically disadvantaged? Tell me. So, you know, John, yeah. So, John, one of the things that I, I um, think would be interesting to hear you speak about. So, you know, a, a lot of times, when we're out there in the environmental world, you and I, right, battling for um, equity for all, people like to use the term environmental justice. And I think more and more people like you, activists who are really trying to address what's happening and secure true justice are pointing out that it's, it's not just about environmental justice, but you have to end environmental racism. And I know, for me, when I mention, when I use that terminology, environmental racism, inevitably government officials get all in a tizzy, like, ooh, you know, as though you're you're saying a bad word. Well, yeah, it is bad word because it's it's bad that it's happening, but it's real what's happening. And right. we have to name it. And I'm just wondering from your perspective, do because I noted that you too use environmental racism. Um, when you're speaking about this issue, is that something you do mindfully? Do you um, do you know choose one term over the other in different contexts? And what's the reaction that you've experienced when you when you use environmental racism versus securing environmental justice? Well, one of the things you hear all the time, and I'm just trying to look on my phone here to see this clipping that I printed. But you know, there's been so much talk about environmental justice. Oh, here, I found it. And it says, uh, environmental justice started out as a movement to end environmental racism. I love animals and trees, but when are we going to deal with the racism? And too often people don't understand that, that it has its roots in racism, in classicism, in, 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 in a number of these other isms that basically have created a problem in our culture, in our society, in the world in general. So I, with very great intent, speak to the fact of environmental injustice and environmental racism. But I also coined a term, and I like to say I coined it, uh, and, and the term that I like to use is restorative justice. You cannot have environmental justice without restorative justice. The communities that have been hurt, the people that have been hurt by 100 plus years of the petroleum age and all that's come with it, that there has to be a sense if we're going to move into a cleaner, greener future, that those communities have to be restored and placed on an equal footing in order to move forward. Mm -hmm. Communities like Port Arthur can't all of a sudden go from being 
so heavily invested in petrochemicals that now we transition over to solar panels and to wind turbines and to a, a better electrical grid and the production of things that will lead to a cleaner, greener economy. If they are not given the proper training and tools to be able to participate and be part in it and to have some equity. So without considering those things, and that's why I have a real strong problem and issue with these petrochemical companies now all of a sudden wanting to say, oh, we're clean and green too. We're doing solar panels. We're doing windmills. We're doing clean energy. But you created this problem. I can't expect those who created the problem to all of a sudden now have the solution to the problem. So there has to be a change in that. And, 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 and it has to be something that's done mindfully. And unfortunately, while Biden speaks well to some degree toward it, He's taken absolutely very little action to make it happen. And he can do that. He can do it with the stroke of a pen, but he hasn't done it. What's the hold up, Joe? Why not? You said you were going to do it and you haven't done it. But as I said recently, when I was quoted in an article, judgment day is coming and it's coming soon. And it's coming in less than 11 months. Now he can, he can, he can, he can, he's still going to be president after then, but if he doesn't do it by then or before then, he ain't going to do it at all after that. Mm -hmm. This time next year, it's game over. Either we'll have done it or it ain't going to get done at all. And that's the reality of it. So, yeah, I speak with, with willful intent to environmental injustice, to environmental racism, because as a component of environmental justice, you have to restore those who are hurt. Do you, are you thinking of, so first off, I, I, I love that you mentioned Joe Manchin because that person, I, I, I can't, normally I refer to people as, you know, a gentleman or a gentlewoman, but I, I can't, or, but I, I can't refer to him that way. I think he's a, I think he's a very hateful, self-absorbed narcissistic person. He's got plenty of money, right? And he doesn't need more. And yet he's very anxious and eager to deny providing resources, money, support, transition jobs to, to everybody else. Um, and, and as we learned, ultimately, it was because his feelings were hurt. He made up political reasons why he was changing his mind and going back on his words. But as it turned out in the final analysis, um, when he said he was going to vote no on Build Back Better, which has so many of those climate and social justice, um, social um, safety elements, um, turned out his feelings were hurt by something somebody said. But anyway, <laughs> that is all. Joe, need just... Joe needs to put on his big boy pants. <laughs> yes, he does. Uh -huh. But I'm wondering, you know, Joe Manchin comes to mind again um, and all of these issues. And, you know, you were talking about the change in politics and leadership by this time next year. I mean, it will happen or it won't happen. Um, voting rights is, you know, such an important part now of, whether or not we have true opportunities to secure restorative justice, um, to end environmental racism, to address the climate crisis, and just wondering how um, you know that is incorporated into your thinking as you move forward in, in, in your work. Democracy is at stake here. The whole thing is about democracy, whether we're going to have whether we are going to have a country where the diversity of opinions and views in the political marketplace can exist and coexist peacefully and work toward resolution, or whether we're going to have a group of people 
who basically say it's my way or no way at all. And that's what we have. As I tell some of my alleged or so-called friends in social media, you don't live in the world by yourself. What kind of world do you think it would be if you got everything you wanted and I got nothing of what I wanted or needed? Do you think I'm going to be satisfied very long in those kinds of conditions? And at some point, when do you, when do you think I'm going to decide that I've had enough and that I'm going to and I'm going to fight and make change? You know, the change they see is not, you know, when I saw this recent poll about those that say, well, if, a, if there's a civil war or if it takes revolution to change the country, so be it. But what kind of country are you trying to change it to be? One where mm -hmm. we have a stake and role in it too, or whether you're just simply trying to maintain the status quo. Mm -hmm. Those isms we talked about, racism, sexism, classism, and all of that. What kind of world? So I have to go back to, and I always remember that there's nothing new under the sun. It's just very cyclical. History is cyclical. And Dr. King spoke well to it. If we're going to have the beloved community, what we have to do is be willing to stand up and speak out and not fight for, but live and work for that beloved community and that world we want. He said that good men, evil succeeds when good men do nothing. So we've got to constantly challenge our better angels and the better part of us to live up to that. And it's hard because some of these folks, they don't want to see it or hear it. Mm -hmm. But we have to constantly be those voices. As they said, you know, the, the crying in the wilderness, because eventually that voice will be heard because it will get so loud, like the walls of Jericho that tumbled when the, the, the trumpet sounded, that it will have to change. So my old pastor used to say that, that, that we have to be prisoners of hope, that when there's nothing else, we got hope, because long as there's hope, there's a chance there's life. When you lose hope, it's all over. Game over, fold up your tent, pack up your bag, go home. <laughs> but if there's hope, then we got a reason to fight. So I like to say, Annika and Maya, that my bedroom window, and I'm looking out of it now, that's why I've got the backdrop, <laughs> <laughs> it, faces, it faces the rising sun. And every morning that I wake up and I turn that way, to see, get an idea what time it is. And I wake up according to the sun uh, and I see the sun glinting through the blinds and, and, and curtains. I know it's gonna be a good day. And I look forward to it because there's always new challenges or something new or great or unexpected happens. That's a blessing. And all I ask is to be allowed to be a blessing to someone else as I share blessings too. But uh, we've got to, we, we, we have to join hands and hearts to fight this. That's the only way we're going to do it. And we got to laugh a little bit because we're going to cry a whole lot too. Mm. But we got to laugh and we got to enjoy this ride. So right now, since I retired and all of that and gotten in this movement, I'm enjoying the ride. I got to admit. So if you see me laughing and being like a kid and joking and saying silly stuff, it's because while I'm serious, we still have work to do. And you can't grind hard all the time. You got to enjoy the work. And you can't enjoy it if you don't smile and get down to it. I gotta tell you, John, you are just from everything from this whole conversation, you are definitely I, a blessing to us right now. And then I think to this whole world, I mean, you just like, I'm literally like on the brink of crying just because I feel like everything is just so beautiful and soulful and it's real. And I just like, I can't, I just can't, I'm just gonna say, I can't thank you enough for like, just being like standing up for people, but like being who you are, because I do believe if there were like 
more people like you in this world, we would be in such like a better place and like people who genuinely care about standing up for other humans. And I just feel like you, you're representing the best in the world right now from like, I just, I'm so moved by you. Well, thank you. You are both far too kind. I just, I, I thank you for that, but I thank him even more because he put that in me and that's what I try to live out and, and live by every day. And I, and I fall sometimes too, but there's an old saying, you know, we all fall, but you got to get back up. We fall down, but we get up. We you get up. You got to write a book of sayings. You got to write a book of sayings. And the truth told, a little over a year or so ago, I fell down and I didn't want to get back up. Matter of fact, I was about to get out of this all together, out of all my quasi-political work and all of this, I was just going to be one of them people that sat on the porch in a rocking chair and wait till time was up. But uh, God has a way of doing things and changing things and situations that allow you to get up off your knees. Sometimes he sends someone or he sends a word or something. And I came to know and understand, which I knew even when I was saying that, that uh, you can't do that. That's not going to work. You got a purpose, you got a mission, and you're going to complete the mission or else. So maybe that was my Jonah moment. Maybe maybe I had to get in the belly of the beast in order to figure out that I don't have no other option, that I've got this to do until he says or something says, okay, now we're going a different direction. So uh, like I said, I, I, I just want to try to, you know, one of my favorite songs is by a blind musician by the name of Raoul Midon. And it's called Pick Somebody Up. So look that up if you hadn't heard it, you'll get a chance. So I'll try to share with you and Maya. But uh, that's awesome. It, it, it really says it. You got we, we, we got to pick each other up. There's so mm -hmm. much beating you down every day, but that's not life. That's not life. Life is about that lifting up and being able to share and smile and move forward in spite of life, in spite of what goes on. Because it ain't going to be smooth. <laughs> it's going to be rocky, uneven and all. But we got to get through it. And we will get through this little episode in our country because the better angels will prevail. I believe that no matter how bad things get, how they get right, is going to prevail. So we yeah. just keep working. Just keep working. So I'm looking forward to getting to work with you on trying to save Texas. That's a big task. You really, you really loading up my plate, Maya. <laughs> I am. But, you know, John, between you and I, Lickety split, we're going to make it happen and put Texas at the front of the line for this powerful Green Amendment movement. But in the meanwhile, you've got a lot of things going on, and we want to make sure that people come forth having listened to this interview and being inspired to join you. So what websites do you want them to go to, website or websites? And is there an action that you would like people to take in the coming months as they're listening to this? Because we're hoping that people will be sharing and listening it, to it over and over and over and sharing with their family and friends. What do you want people to do that will be meaningful to help? And I'm going to say one of those things is they want to make sure they go to every single website you're about to mention and they donate because that's powerful and important. We want yes, them to get active, but we want them to donate. So I'm gonna do that part of your pitch. Okay. Um, you can do that too. Sometimes it's easier for somebody else to do it for you. Um, but what if, where can people go and, and how can they get involved, John, to help? Well, we, well we, have, we have a presence in social media on Facebook through our PECON page, Port Arthur Community Action Network. We're also 
have a page that we deal with a lot of others on that it's kind of a clearinghouse for all these environmental movements, but we post there quite a bit called environmental justice. And you'll notice it pretty much because you'll see this plume going across the crystal blue Texas sky. And that's, that's German pellets doing its thing for you. So you get a firsthand view of that. We also have two web pages. We have uh, pa-can.com and pecanportarthur.org. And both of those are places where you can go to or donate, or you can email us at uh, pecanportarthur at gmail.com and uh, get any information or find out how you can participate in some of the actions we're engaged in. One of which will be uh, trying to halt the Blue Marlin pipeline here to go to an offshore oil terminal. I forgot the movie it was in or something, but I remember hearing Jeff Goldberg, Goldblum say it, save the cheerleader, save the world. Well, we say kill the pipeline, you kill yeah. the offshore project. Because they're looking at building a 42-inch pipeline through a sensitive marshland and environmental area and through Lake Sabine, Lake Sabine's 19 miles, 12 miles of which this pipeline is going to go disturbing oyster beds and fishing and hab wildlife habitat. Uh, the, the, the Bessie Heights Marsh is a fine place for fishing and hunting, as well as where the baby shrimp and baby fish and all go to get bigger and stronger so they go out into the open waters. And this is a way of life for people in Southeast Texas, the hunting and fishing and all. And now you're gonna jeopardize it by not just putting in a pipeline, but putting in a pipeline with a toxic material such as crude oil that will be flowing at a rate of 80,000 barrels per hour to fill up a super tanker for export. Once again, how can we be talking about energy independence? We're talking about export. But uh, that, that's one of the movements we're engaged in. We're also engaged in uh, addressing the environmental pollution coming from, uh, once again, Oxbow calcining. And I am proud to say that the US EPA has acknowledged our complaint and accepted it, and they are taking it, they are investigating oxbow calcining for its emissions, Great. as well as TCEQ for non-enforcement. Wow. Which is uh, TCEQ is the regulatory agency. We're also engaged in two efforts regarding Hurricane Harvey recovery, one of which deals with the fact that neither Port Arthur in Jefferson County or Houston in Harris County receives zero dollars in the second round of funding for housing, rehabilitation, and all of that for Hurricane Harvey recovery. Not a single dime from the state agency that oversees it. So I and several other groups, I'm the only group out of Southeast Texas that filed uh, a complaint to HUD with regard to Title VI again, that the money was being used in a discriminatory fashion, that it was not being used to help the people who needed help most. Here's a case in Point Maya. Little small city north of Beaumont here, Bevel Oaks. Bevel Oaks probably has little less than 600 houses. According to their people, maybe a little over 400 of which were damaged in Harvey. Bevel Oaks received more money per capita than Port Arthur did. We had over 20,000 homes damaged, but yet they perceived more money per capita. But here's a look at it. Remember I told you the per capita income in Port Arthur, 35,000. Mm -hmm. The per capita median income in Bevel Oaks is $77,000 a year. The average home value in Bevel Oaks is $144,000. Average home value in Port Arthur is around 55 to 60. How can we compete or how are we going to get adequate funding 
when funds are being diverted to those communities that have means when yet less than 80% of the homes here were even insured for flood during a flood such as Harvey in these incidents, in these storms which we have every year. Some people don't have, you know, wind or, 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 or hurricane insurance. You know, it's, it's expensive and some can't afford it. And some of these homes still have blue roofs from Rita and Rita hit in 2005. Wow. That's saying something. So we're fighting those sort of things. And we're also fighting the disaster mitigation funds from the federal government because once again, they were not distributed equitably. 70% of the money was supposed to go to low mod income communities like Port Arthur. But there, were, there was a movement among some others to reduce that down to, 40%, to, to 50%, which means there'd be more money for people who could afford it, but they wouldn't have to spend their money while people who don't have the money weren't, wouldn't be able to fix their homes and houses. So we're, we're working on a number of fronts with regard to that. And, and, and other things that come before us, as well as, uh, you know, the contested case we'll be engaging in sometime in the first quarter of the year with uh, Semper LNG for their facility. We found we were found by the administrative law judge to have standing, at least I was. I filed on my own behalf through my organization because the pollutants they have could adversely affect my health. So we're going to be fighting that battle and who knows what other battles we'll be fighting. Wow. But we have plenty of them but we got plenty of fight. We're few in number, but uh, we try to be very strategic and, and work with our partners and alliances where possible to affect the changes that are needed so that people can have a voice and we can bring about this better world that we all seek. John, we are so honored that you joined us today to talk with us about these really important issues. And, um, and we hope that everybody steps up and joins you. And we also hope that you're gonna come back and let us know how all of these things are going. Um, sure. and well, other ways once, people can get involved. Right. Once again, I'm glad that you all invited me to be part of this. And now I'm going to extend, reverse that invitation for you all to come on down. Or as I say, it. come on down, y'all, into Southeast <laughs> Texas and take the toxic tour with me. Yes. And also, while we're at it, we'll have a little bit of uh, crawfish pie, jambalaya, filet gumbo, barbecue, if you like, or even Tex-Mex. There's can delicious and great food here. You can have <laughs> anyone you pick or some of all of it. We don't care. It'll be on awesome. us. And we so, invite you to come on down and, and really see what it's about here. Because in spite of all of that, uh, we may not be living quite well because of all this pollution, but we do eat well. And so <laughs> gonna, well, you'll get a chance to see just how that works down here. We look forward to coming to visit and eating with you and, um, and helping to be part of your movement and doing what we can to support you. Mm -hmm. So thank you. thank you, John. Thank you, John. Thank both of you very much. Have an awesome, awesome rest of your week and day and month. <laughs> oh, yes. And happy holidays to both and of happy you. Holidays. Happy holidays. And all your house. <laughs> thank you, John. So, Annika, did I not tell the truth? Like, what a powerful, powerful, inspirational voice. I really did. I'm like, started to cry like a little bit. I know you probably can't like actually see it, but it's just like, it is, it still amazes me to this day that people who have been like so targeted by industry and are dealing with the things that John and his community are dealing with are able to come up, like come back with so much force and power. And like, still like this speaking about like hope, like we have to have hope when like, I just like, 
it's just so beautiful and I really do mean it like if we had more people like John in this world I picture it being so much better than what it is but I'm glad that we got a chance to talk to him and I mean like I'm moved by him like I really there's not words so it's hard to put in but wow and I encourage yeah everybody go to those websites support John support his organizations like he is on the ground fighting the good fight yeah and the reality is right well you know there are leaders and there are champions and there are people that are at the forefront and lift up voices and make those powerful points um successful activism and advocacy and movements require others right require mm -hmm. people to come stand with you for you behind you support you in whatever way they can and sometimes that support is donations which is so important for um environmental and community organizations but also signing petitions writing those letters testifying if you have the opportunity especially especially this day and age so much testifying is happening on zoom so you know I know for my Green Amendment movement, I've been able to testify in Hawaii one day and in Washington State the next day and, you know, and then mm -hmm. here on the East Coast. So um, making the time to care and get involved and help champions like John is powerful and important. And I was just truly deeply moved, you know, the first time I spoke with John when I brought up the Green Amendment the way you did and could see how clearly and instantly it resonated with him. So I um, really am looking forward to working with John to advance the Green Amendment cause in Texas. It's obviously not going to be easy, right? They're stripping mm -hmm. people of environmental rights. They're stripping women of their constitutional rights. They're doing so much to undermine people and their rights, rights that they actually have um, already. So securing a new right to clean water, clean air, a stable climate, and healthy environments is certainly going to be a heavy lift. But I'm confident working with John Beard that we're going to be able to do that. Um, and I do hope that people will also consider supporting Green Amendments for the Generations, www.forthegenerations.org. When you support our organization, you also support our ability to partner up and work with other communities across the nation and leaders across the nation that want to advance the Green Amendment movement, right? And some, some of that those resources are supporting our work directly. And when we can pass resources through to our partners working on the ground, uh, we do that regularly as well. So forthegenerations.org, please donations would be welcome. And at this particular time with the movement growing so quickly, um, we really need that support. So support John, support us, and we'd be very, very grateful. And don't forget to share this episode, encourage other people to listen and go forth and share the Green Amendment message and share what John has been doing and all that good stuff. All right, thanks everybody, until next time.